Hi. Are we awake? Okay. Very cool. So it's always a pleasure to be with you ladies. It's an honor and a blessing to share and to be amongst you. I respect so, so many of you and I love so many of you and the others of you, I don't know yet. So we'll see. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm just playing with you. Today is no exception. I hope that you have come excited to hear the word and anticipating him. I do want to start by giving you gals fair warning that today, Rachel and Leah is going to be a tough message. So I want to tell you that going into it now, but I also want to encourage your hearts that even though it is hard, the Lord has something for us. He has a word of comfort in it. So with that, let me pray briefly. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to come before these sisters, Lord, with this message. And Lord, I know you have ordered our times, our days, our teachings, Lord, to such a time as this. And so, God, I ask, God, that your spirit would move. Father, I pray in humility that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, I desperately confess that I need you. Um, may your word go forth with power. And may your spirit make application in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so real quick, I want to give you gals a tiny little background um, to Genesis 29. You can turn there now. We'll be looking at Genesis 29. But what's been going on very quickly to bring us to this point, you will notice that Jacob, the youngest twinsy, has tricked his dad Isaac. Yes? He's tricked him into giving him the double portion of Esau's inheritance, which was the right of the firstborn in that time, in that culture. And as a result, Rebecca had to tell Jacob, your brother is angry. You need to skedaddle. You need to move on out. You need to peace out, right? In fact, why don't you go find a wife amongst my relatives? Go get hitched. Get married. So that's what she tells him. And that's where we are. That's Genesis bringing us up to Genesis 29. We're actually going to pick up our story in Genesis 29, starting in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of his love, because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, and he made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. <clears throat> Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you have, which you will serve with me still another seven years. I just feel like it's a buy one, get one. Don't you guys think? I want that one, but I'm going to get this one. Buy one, get one. Two for one? Sort of. 
So then Jacob, verse 28 says, Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter. Oh, I think I did that right. Did I that right? Okay. I mean, I'll try that again. Verse 29. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. I get them confused sometimes. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Okay, so verse 31 tells us that Leah was unloved. And so the first thing I did when I read this passage was I actually had to go sit down because there's a lot to take in. This whole story is a lot to take in. But I want to start with verse 31 where it said Leah was unloved. I was like, well, what does that mean? Let me look that up in one of my concordances. So I grabbed my online concordance and I looked it up and it's actually a stronger definition. The word there for unloved is actually to hate. It's to hate, right? And I felt just like, what, really? Is that right? So, of course, I wanted to double-check the veracity. So I, I just got out my hard copy of Strong's. You know, it's the same thing, online or hard copy. I just, I just had a hard time with it. So I, I turned to it, and I'm actually going to have Sound Ministry bring up this first picture for you. I want you guys to see it for yourself, the definition of the word hate in the Strong's Concordance. So here it is. If you can, can't read it, it's um, 8130, and it says some stuff. It's how you pronounce it. I think it's pronounced sonne, but it says to hate. And I think it means in a personal personality, enemy, foe, hate, hateful and odious, utterly. So I thought, wow, that's, I'm having a hard time with that, Lord. I was really hoping that it was going to be softened or something. I was looking for that. So I thought, well, let me look in a Hebrew lexicon just for good measure. Let me just see if I can get something else here. But still, the same definition. So then finally I said, well, maybe if I cross-reference this verse and see where else it's used, I'll get some more insight on it. And in fact, this same word is used back in Genesis 27. And you know where it talks about it? It talks about it where it says that Esau hates Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to him. Now, I'm not a scholar, but that's just what the research showed me that I did. On my limited amount of time and my limited amount of references. That's what I found. And I had a hard time with it, to be honest. I was hoping it was going to say something else, a little bit softer, but it didn't. So this is what I have. In either case, it's a strong word, right? And it evokes strong emotion. And in the, in the context of marriage, a place that is meant for the ultimate earthly intimacy, it's even more devastating, Right? Marriage was designed by God as a place of great sacredness, oneness. It serves as a picture of our relationship that we are meant to have with the Lord. Our passage today brings up the very sad but very real occurrence that is rejection. That's going to be our topic today. It's a heavy one, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to see what the Lord has for us. But even saying this word, I'll ask you gals, what does that word rejection bring up for you? How does it make you feel inside? It makes me want to cringe. I feel now in my stomach that pit. I don't feel good about it. It hurts my heart. And so I decided, well, let me look up just a modern day translation of the word just for kicks. 
and some of the synonyms that are included. Rejection means a dismissal, a refusal, a declining, a spurning, a repudiation, a rebuff, abandonment, desertion, forsaking. So there it is, plain and simple, rejection. Now, rejection hits all of us to some degree or another. None of us is immune from the sting of it. And maybe some examples on a smaller scale could be, well, maybe we didn't get that invite that we were hoping for or that job that we had wanted, perhaps that promotion. Maybe an idea or a proposal we had was you know, passed over at work or with somebody else. Maybe we just don't fit in where we desperately want to. Maybe a spouse or a parent has checked out or walked out. Rejection, however, isn't only a physical departure, but it also includes the mental, emotional, and spiritual leaving or giving up, as we see in the case of Leah and Jacob's marriage. Rejection causes collateral damage. This is point number one on your study guide. And because I'm not a good speller, I'm going to spell collateral for you. C-O-L-L-A-T-E-R-A-L. Collateral. Rejection causes collateral damage. We can be witness to or the victims of the excruciating effects of rejection. Now, I doubt that this is how Leah envisioned her wedding her bridegroom, her honeymoon night, right? We're little girls. We have these dreams and desires. And I know back then cultures were different, but still, we still have them. Whether marriages were arranged or not, we're little girls. And, and I, I highly doubt that this is how Leah envisioned her, her marriage going. I mean, really, who wants to play second fiddle? Do you want to be backup wife on your honeymoon night? No, not at all. Not me. But I'm willing to bet that there are some in this room, even right now, who feel this way. Who feel like the second fiddle. Whose husband is chasing things he may not, he he ought not to be. Whose hobby has turned into an idol. Whose addiction to alcohol or whatever leaves you feeling abandoned. Whose job feels like a mistress stealing your marriage. Or maybe, like in my case, like in some of yours, that maybe you're the product of divorced parents and all that that entails. Or a familial spat between siblings that's created separation. Other times, rejection can come by obedience to Christ. That's point number two on your study guide. Rejection can come by obedience to Christ. Perhaps a loved one or a coworker has rejected you to some degree because of your profession of faith. There have definitely been times in my life where I knew that if I was going to be obedient to Christ, if I was going to follow the difficult path and bear out what he was asking me to do in a situation, I knew that I would risk and most likely result in the loss of that relationship. I've lost a job over it. I've lost friends over it. I've lost fellowship. I've lost that intimacy that comes from those relationships. I've lost those future memories that I had hoped to have with that person because I chose to follow Christ in a situation. And I want to talk about that for a minute. If that's you today, 
If you find yourself in a similar situation where you've chosen to follow Christ, you've got a good old-fashioned case of suffering for righteousness. Okay? And I want to give you a word to hold on to in 1 Peter 2.19. It says, For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. And then verse 19 says, Oh, sorry, verse 21 says, Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Right? Jesus was rejected too. Not because he was wrong, but because he was right. And when I think about that, it always reminds me of Stephen back in Acts 7, where he pretty much just breaks down the genealogy, the heritage of the Jewish people to the religious leaders. And it says that the religious leaders... Gnashed, it says when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. Why? That's kind of dramatic. You think they would have the opposite effect? You think they would have embraced Stephen? No, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. Why? Because Stephen was wrong? No, but because he was right. And they reject Stephen like they reject you or me because we've declared his truth. And that's uncomfortable for some. So I want you gals to take that as a moment to rejoice, however, because Acts 5.41 says, because you have, you have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Back in Hebrew times, they wouldn't use you know, the name of God. They would just say the name. That word is Hashem. It is the name above all names. If you've been suffered disgrace, you've just suffered disgrace for his name, the name above all names. So, Whether we have experienced rejection unintentionally or intentionally, it still deeply hurts, right, ladies? It's difficult. We see the effects reflected in the names that Leah gives her sons, especially early on. I know you gals studied some of that this week. But let's pick up in verse 32 and read a little bit more. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Do you sense her desperation there? Yeah. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Do you see the recognition of her emotional state right there? He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now, this time, my husband will become attached to me. Do you see her desire for hope? Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Affliction, unloved, and unattached. This was Leah. Question. What can rejection produce within us? Think back to a time where you experienced some rejection. How did it make you feel? Insecure? Shameful? Maybe some misery there? Depressed? How about devalued? Lonely? Here's a big one. Insignificant? Did any hatred or jealousy or even covetousness or bitterness come from it? Now, this brings us to a very pivotal point in our study. You see, the question really isn't, what does rejection produce? The real question before us is this. How do we biblically deal with feelings of rejection? 
This is an action-driven question. It requires an action on our part. So let's look at that. How do we biblically deal, deal with rejection? Well, let's look at rejection's exact polar opposite. If I have rejection over here on this side, right, what do I have over here? To me, the natural response would be acceptance. If I have rejection here, I have acceptance there, okay? This sets us up for point number three in our study guides. We must find our acceptance where? In Christ. We must find our acceptance in Christ. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 tells us, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us, here we go, accepted in the beloved, right? The word accepted here is beautiful, and I want its definition to just wash over you for a minute. Accepted means to grace, that is, endue with special honor, make accepted. Be highly favored. A lexicon gave a little more insight and says to make graceful, charming, lovely, agreeable. <clears throat> to pursue, pursue with grace, compass with favor, to honor with blessings. That is what that word acceptance means. When the sting of rejection hits, we have to remember where our foundation lies, ladies. And let me, let me be as real as I can. It's not in your marital status. As much as I love my man, that's not where my acceptance is. I experience acceptance from him, but that's not where it lies. It's not in a person's opinion and what so-and-so thinks of me. It's not in a set of ideal circumstances. And it's not in the size of your bank account, whether big or small. Or your job title. Are you a big wig or small on the totem pole? That's not where acceptance lies. No. And it's also not in who you know. It's in seeing ourselves as already loved and accepted, flaws included, by the one who paid it all to call you daughter. That's where it lies. Our value must be securely based where? On what the word of God says. Which is, you're accepted. You are graced, you are loved, you are honored, and you are clean, and you are without blemish. Ladies, you are complete in Christ. I want you to say that with me. Complete in Christ. Let me hear it. You are complete in Christ, amen? But I think that's why, in part, rejection hurts so much. Because rejection can say something like, that's not right. There's something not right about you. There's something incomplete, something's missing, something I don't like, therefore I'm leaving. And it hurts, doesn't it, ladies? It stings our souls. And this is why rejection can be so emotionally damaging and deadly. Rejection, especially by others, and especially by close people, right? The closer they are, the harder the sting, right? But rejection by others must not be allowed to determine or define our worth. No, it doesn't get a voice. Our self-esteem, our acceptance can't be based upon what people say or think, either for good or for bad. I mean, we're talking about the bad side, but what if, let's flip the tables a little bit 
And so she's like, oh, you know, you're the bomb or you're this or you're X, Y, and Z. And oh my goodness, blah, 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 blah. And then what happens? We get a big head and we think we're more than we ought to be. And we get self-righteous and we get whatever. That happens too. We let things go to our head and, and we just, it's the flesh. Our acceptance must be squarely rooted where and what God says, which is what? You're accepted in the beloved. Now, I want to make a a point of clarification here. I'm not talking about acceptance in light of sanctification. Sanctification being the process of maturing in godliness over time, okay? I'm, I'm actually talking about justification, our position. I'm positionally right or I'm positionally accepted by God because of I've believed by faith that Christ's blood has covered my sin. I'm now right before God. And this brings us to this point. You can't earn acceptance as much as we want to. I mean, people we kind of do that with, but with God, you can't earn acceptance. It's given. It's received by us. And this, ladies, is the lens from which we must filter. Now, some time ago, um, I have two sisters. I have an older sister and a younger sister, and I'm the middle one. Okay, and my older sister, she sent away for like one of those like DNA profile kits where you like do the swab with your cheek or whatever and, and you send it off to the lab and they tell you where you're from. So I want to show you gals um, her results and mine won't be exact because, you know, DNA doesn't pass exactly the same with those alleles and such. But anyway, um, this is her results and I'm, I'm just going to share the major ones with you. Italy and Greece says 41%. My mom is half Italian. And then it says Europe West, 35%. What's Europe West? Europe West is like Spain and Portugal. And there's like another country that starts with the letter A, and I don't know how to pronounce it, so I didn't try. And then then we have Great Britain, and that's Pops. That's about 14%, and a little bit of Ireland and and whatnot. But these are the majors. My mom is half, half Italian, half Portuguese. And my dad's just like a mix, I guess. So, okay. And then my physical features. I'm five foot two inches. You can see by me standing, I'm a little short. I'm a little short stack, yes? Okay. Um, I have curly hair, which I have nicknamed the puff. (laughs) And I struggle to contain the puff daily. In fact, I I texted my hairdresser last week and I said, pal, because that's what I call her, pal, the puff needs containment. It's been about a year. The puff needs some containment. I have my dad's green eyes. Personality-wise, let me ask a quick question. Raise your hand. How many of you gals think I'm an extrovert? A few of you. Most of you. How many of you think I'm an introvert? Like one. Okay. Well, to the surprise of many of you, ladies, I am actually an introvert. And I like to say it this way. I'm an introvert with a little bit of spunk. Okay. But I'm creative. I'm organized and I'm a little sensitive for good or for bad. I'm aware of people's feelings, whatever you want to call that, if that's discernment. And I'm also highly sensitive. I can take things too personally. Um, so the other night, I, I was just going over my study, and I was sitting on the bathroom counter, and my husband was sitting there shaving, getting ready for work. And I said, husband, I want to ask you a question. Spur the moment here. If you had to name three personality traits, good or bad, either one, 
what would you say? And he said, you're tenacious. Okay, cool. But then he said, ladies, you're stubborn. Okay. He's like, sometimes that works for you. <laughs> sometimes not so much. And then he said, you're loyal. Aw, that's sweet, right? Okay. Roles. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a homemaker, I'm a homeschool teacher, and I have the blessing of being a women's ministry leader. Yippee. A couple affiliations. I'm a college graduate. I graduated from Cal State San Marcos. I'm a military brat. My dad was a Marine. And due to my husband, I am forced to be, want to be an Oklahoma Sooners football fan. And we did well last year. We went pretty far but I have to be. I started rooting for Texas. He was like, no, no. (laughs) So why am I telling you this? I feel like this is like some like online dating profile I'm filling out. Why am I sharing all this information about me? Well, it's because I simply want to communicate to you ladies that I was created and formed in his image. I was created by and in his perfection as he wanted me to be. My heritage, my personality, my giftings, And as awesome as all that stuff is, I don't find my identity chiefly in them. Now, yes, I'm proud of many of them, and that has its proper place. But the core of my identity is found elsewhere. And this brings us to point number four on your study guide. If we find our acceptance in Christ, then we also discover our identity in him. It starts with acceptance, and then from there, we draw out our identity. Identity. Now, Ephesians 1 is going to do a sketch of what our identity looks like, a quick snapshot. And on the back of your study guides, you're going to see a list of that. But before we look at it, please listen. Don't tune me out. I know many of you are familiar with Ephesians 1. But don't tune me out. In fact, I want you to let this list soak into your souls. I want it to embed itself into the floorboard now and later as you think about this message and as the Spirit makes application. I want it to embed itself into your personhood and really into your deepest insecurities. I want to put the Word of God on top of that. I want you to bring this here. This is what I'm struggling with, Lord. Personality-wise, rejection-wise, whatever. And I want to put the word of God and I want to sit it right on top. Because this is where we need to draw our truth from. Amen? So Ephesians 1 says, you are equipped through Christ with every spiritual blessing. Listen to these words. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You're regarded as holy. There's that justification. And blameless before him. Adopted. Look at those words, chosen, regarded, adopted. Adopted through the kind intention of his will. That's another way of saying predestination. Accepted in the beloved, which we're studying this morning. Redeemed. You're forgiven. And you're lavished with grace. And you're a recipient. There it is again. You receive it. You don't, you don't earn it. You receive it. Recipients of the glorious inheritance in heaven. And finally, secured forever, amen, by the Holy Spirit of promise. Yes, amen. That's the word of God, and that's what he says. So ladies, this list has profound implications upon the quality of your life. Now, biblically, it addresses, Ephesians 1 addresses the question of, well, who am I? That's a basic question to ask. Who am I? 
But more importantly, Ephesians 1, it answers a better question for us. It answers, who does God say I am? Who does God say you are? That's the question it answers. And we must learn to connect his identity of us with our own. It must take precedence. The word of God is supreme. The word of God is pure. The word of God is holy and right. This is the foundation. And frankly, I want to just keep it real with you gals. Frankly, if I were your enemy, this is where I would start. I would start with your identity. Because if I could weaken your perspective, if I could dull your spiritual awareness and senses to your position in Christ, if I could devalue your strengths, if I could play upon your insecurities, that's a big one, ladies. That drives a lot of stuff that we do and think, right? If I could play upon that and your areas of hurt and rejection and ladies, I know this is tough. This is a sensitive area for me too. It's very sensitive. But if I could get in there and I could just play upon those areas, then as your enemy, I could control and dominate how you see yourself. And maybe I could dictate some of your actions. I could disable your effectiveness and possibly render you useless. Now, I'm not talking about possession from the devil. I'm talking about like fiery darts and things. And and when we have hurt, when we don't deal with it, we don't process it or we stuff it or we ignore it or whatever we do to the thing, we give the enemy fertile ground, yes, to play with. We, when we don't take captive those thoughts, those darts, and I get them, ladies. I got one, I was telling Monday night, I got one a few days ago. I was just driving, getting some stuff, and next thing, here comes one, and it's really, literally from the pit of hell, and it's like, uh-uh, no thank you, no sirree bobtail. That's what we say. I said, my, my husband laughs, He's like, why do you add the bobtail? I was like, well, my dad, that's where he said it, and now my kids say it too. No sirree bobtail. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. But question Ladies, let me ask you, and I want to hear an answer from you, honestly. Where does the battle rage? Yes. So guess what? If I have you here, then I have you there, right? If I have you here, I have you there. Don't you see the magnitude of what's at stake this morning? Do you see it with me? But... I don't want us to walk out of this room being fooled. I don't want us giving up one iota of territory. It's not his territory. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. You belong to him, beloved. You're his. You were bought with the blood and you're sealed with the spirit of God. Right? Yes, we are. Praise you, Jesus. And this is the lens we have to operate from. We must operate from this place of biblical victory and scriptural assurance. Our identity must be rooted in who God says we are. Not what people say and not what Satan says and not what our own flesh tells us in the middle of the night when it's dark and you see your list of failures. Yeah, amen, we need to deal with sin. I'm not excusing that. But who do we belong to? He says, I'm accepted. My identity is in Christ. God has created you uniquely. And he's created you perfectly for his good pleasure. 
You are fearfully, ladies, fearfully, with intent, and wonderfully made, with perfection, personality, puff and all. Right? We may not like the thing, but he knew what he was doing. We have arguments daily about it. Everyone has straight hair. Lord, why did you make me with curls? I mean, now I got to get the flat iron going. Imagine it contain it today, ladies. I just took the thing up. I was just glad I got here in the morning. Who has curly hair here knows what I'm talking about. I mean, you have products and that kind of somewhat helps. It's a battle. It's a daily battle to contain the beast. <laughs> All right. Let's pick up back on the word. Let's return to Genesis. Let's look at Genesis 30. Verse 1, to wrap up our study. I'll read it to you. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I'll die. Some drama, right? I'm going to die. And Jacob ang- Jacob's anger arose against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So we've got ourselves here a good old-fashioned case of sibling rivalry, right? Rachel was envious of Leah's childbearing abilities. Six sons, one daughter. That's a lot. And as women, we can be jealous of one another over anything and everything, right? True? Is that true? Yes or no? Let's have some self-appraisal here. Is that true? Do we get jealous of all kinds of things? Dumb things too? Can I say that up here? Sorry, Denise, if not. We size each other up. But I want to give us a warning on this. This is from 2 Corinthians 10, 12. I'll hear this with me, ladies. It says, when they measure themselves by themselves and they compare themselves with themselves, it says they are not wise. They're not wise. What does jealousy solve? Do we ever feel any better from it? Honestly, no. We're never going to feel better from jealousy. Why? Because it's a fruit of the flesh. You're going to sow to the flesh. You're going to reap the flesh, right? That's what happens. It doesn't help. But even as sisters in Christ, even as sisters in Christ, we get jealous and we get secure. Because that's what I think, just in my opinion here, a lot of jealousy, I think, springs from a lot of insecurity. I think there's a root of insecurity there. We don't, we're jealous we don't have a certain thing or it magnifies something we think we're not. But as sisters in Christ, we can get jealous and insecure over the grace that God has given to each of us. Now, notice with me again Jacob's response to Rachel in verse 2. He says, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Question. Who did Jacob point to as the giver of life? God. And who is in the place of giving gifts to men? God. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. Coming down from whom, ladies? The Father of lights. Yes. James 1.17. Even spiritual gifts. Who decides who gets what? The Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation or the shining forth of the Spirit is given for the common good. God has arranged the parts, this is verse 18, in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. So seriously, we get jealous of something that he's given to others. We do it all the time, me, self-included, all the time. But what do any of us have that he has not given? 
What? What can we claim that that's done all by myself? Honestly. No. So then how can we take credit for that? Or how can we be jealous of it? Now we're called to be good stewards of the gift that God has given to us. But the origination is of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit. He arranges as he sees fit for the common good. We need to use our gifts to glorify the Lord, to bless others. And this brings us to our final point. Point number five. When, because I want that to be not if, when we find our acceptance and identity in Christ, we also find our contentment in him. We find our contentment in him. Mm-hmm. Good Jesus. This freezes up, ladies, to marvel, to encourage, and to love the grace given by him to others. Why? Number one, because we're secure knowing whose we are. We're coming from a basis of it already being acceptance in Christ. We're secure in our acceptance. At least we want to be. Let's be. And if we're not, let's ask him to help us be. Okay? We're secure in knowing we were created uniquely and perfectly. Again, ladies, puff included. Our identity is in him. Therefore, we're content to function and fulfill God's individual purpose for our lives with the grace that he's given to us. Grace breeds grace. Grace breeds grace, ladies. Not rivalry, not covetousness. So as we close and as we think of Leah and Rachel and the mess that they were in and rejection hits our lives and life just happens, I want us to remember this. I just distilled it really quickly. Where our acceptance lies. Let's remember where our identity is found and where our contentment is gained. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I think rejection is a tough issue. And I have lots of instances where I could talk about it personally, but didn't today. But doesn't mean I don't have it, Lord, and haven't suffered from it. And hasn't motivated my decisions or my insecurities or my self-esteem issues or my abandonment issues. All of that, Lord, and more is before you. You see everything that's been in my life and in these ladies' life. And Lord, you know. You know the work. As tough as Leah and Rachel is, especially Leah... It still grieves my heart to see that. Lord, I never want to hear that about another woman. But you know and you saw and you were with her, Lord. It doesn't excuse Jacob. No, it doesn't. But Lord, I pray today as these issues come up of rejection, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give these gals a fresh perspective, even a new perspective necessary, that they already belong to you. That you died on the cross so they would feel accepted. Not just feel it, but know it. Positionally, you died to give them that opportunity to receive it, Lord. And from that acceptance, from that place of security, Lord, our identity is found in you. We acknowledge that you've made us individually, Lord. But we also know that those things pale in comparison to what you say we are. We're found in Christ. We're complete in you, Lord. And from that, Lord, we don't need to be jealous of one another. We can be content trusting that you gave us what we needed for life and godliness. All that we needed and more. And it was by your grace that you gave us anything at all. And God, our hearts today, 
is to turn it back to you and say, here, take me, my giftings that you've given, my personality that you've given, and use it, God, to draw people, to speak life and encouragement to others, and to build up the body of Christ, and to be witnesses and lights in the world, because who, you know, they need us too. And we want to reflect you, Jesus, because it's a position of grace here, not a position of earning. So Lord, do that work. Lord, I trust you to do that as the gals think of these things and they go through their time in the groups today, even throughout the rest of this week, Lord, as they wake up, that they would know that they're accepted by you and their identity is in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.